Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. One of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament is the one about the first Passover. The children of Israel were under cruel bondage in Egypt, but they were finally set free as Pharaoh gave in to the very last plague against the nation, the death of the firstborn. All those who sacrificed a lamb and put the blood on the doorpost were passed over. That is, they were set free from death and judgment. And why was that? Well, it was because another had already died in their place. They were finally set free from their bondage and moved on into a new life in the promised land. Fast forward to the New Testament, where we have another kind of Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who took the place of guilty sinners through his death on the cross of Calvary. What a wonderful illustration of the forgiveness of sins through the atoning death of the Savior. Follow along today as evangelist Mr. Eugene Higgins takes us through this story and its application to our lives today. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 11. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you for a memorial. And ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. Verse 29. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Now finally, in the New Testament, Peter's first letter, 1 Peter 1 and verse 18. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. I want to notice with you two powerful actions on the part of God and two possible actions on the part of men and women that night in Egypt and then two potential reactions on the part of this audience tonight. There are two powerful actions on the part of God and he gives them to us in unmistakable language. They're right there, right in plain language so we can see. He says, I will pass over and I will pass through. 
As far as the blood was concerned, if the blood was on the door, God says, I will pass over. That's not omit. He's not saying, I will overlook this house or I will omit this house. But I will hover over it. I will, I will protect this house. In fact, the name Hebrew has roots with the Hebrew word passer over because Abraham had to pass over the river when he moved westward. And yet there is to me at least this, uh, this delightful idea that God was in effect saying, I will become a Hebrew to save you. I will become one of you to save you. I will be a passer over tonight myself. And of course, it's just a, a faint reflection of the, the coming of the Lord Jesus, the incarnation where the Lord Jesus would become one of us in order to save us. God says, I will pass over and I will pass through. So I want to notice with you, first of all, his statement, I will execute judgment. I will pass through the land of Egypt and I will execute judgment. I think that there's something to be learned about the patience of God. God's people were being thrown into the river. Their babies were being murdered. The people were being oppressed. They were enslaved. They were beaten. They were crying to God. Before Moses came down with his rod and with the signs, the miracles that he did, you would have thought that the God of Israel was uncaring. Here are these people praying. Here are these Egyptians beating them. Here are these people dying. Here are these Egyptians killing them. Where's, where's their God? Why isn't God doing anything? For the same reason that he is not, as people think, doing anything tonight. People say, why doesn't he, why doesn't he do something? Look at our world. Look at the way things are. Why doesn't he step in and do something? Well, to remove sin's consequences, God would have to remove sin. And to remove sin, God would have to remove you and me. And in patience, God waits. Do you know that God took longer to destroy Jericho than he did to create the universe? He took longer to show his judgment than he did to display his creatorial power and call everything into existence. That's why the Bible calls judgment God's strange work. It's not something that he likes to do. It's not a tool that he readily picks up. It's something that God would rather not do because God is a God of great patience. There's a problem with that. And the wise man in the Old Testament, Solomon, he told us about that. Here's what he said. Because judgment against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore, the hearts of the sons of men are set in them to do evil. What he's saying is because God doesn't immediately punish sin, we imagine we can get away with it. That is a fatal mistake. Just as it was a mistake for Egypt to imagine that somehow God didn't care. Just as it would be a mistake for us to think that because the world is in the condition it's in, God must not care. God is not to blame. And as he patiently waits, let me just give you the words of Peter since he put it so simply that God is long-suffering, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Because God was waiting, but when God moved, he displayed limitless power. He showed his superiority over all their gods. They worshipped that river Nile. Moses turned it to blood. They worshipped that sun, the sun god. Moses darkened the sky. They worshipped that bull up at the temple. That bull that was that was so meticulously groomed and cared for was filled with lice. They worshipped flies. It was a symbol of fecundity and fertility. They weren't allowed to kill flies. Moses flooded the land with flies. They could hardly budge or move or take a step or sit down without killing flies. Because God was showing that he was all-powerful and that their gods were nothing. God's passing through the land. God intends to establish righteousness and to punish wrongdoing. God will do that. The Bible says he is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. He is the judge. Imagine you're halfway through a book, and this villain, this guy in this book, is just a, an unscrupulous, dishonest, shady, 
hateful character. And you say to yourself, I just, I can't believe why a man would write a book like this. Look at what this man is doing, and he's not being punished, and nothing's happening to him. And Well, of course, you haven't gotten to the end of the book, have you? And when you get to the end of the book, of course, the villain, he's got to, generally, he's got to face the music for what he did. And he gets paid back. He gets punished. And, and everything gets tied up neatly by the novelist at the end of the book. Well, here we are. And we're not even at the end yet. And we say, this just isn't right, the, the way things are happening in our world. And what kind of God is it that made a world like this? But you haven't gotten to the end yet. And I would suggest to you that an atheist has to admit that there's no justice in this world. Because he doesn't believe in a God of justice. But you see, there's no justice in the next world either if you're an atheist. Hitler gets away with what he did. He killed himself before the Soviet soldiers broke into the, the bunker where he was. People get away with things and die. And maybe on their deathbed, they talk about what they did and they were never incarcerated. They were never punished. They never went to jail. Every sin, every sin will be brought out into the open and will be punished. God says, I will set these things in order before your face because God, who is a God of patience, God, who is a God of limitless, infinite power, is the judge of all the earth, and he will do what is right. And Egypt found out that night to its sorrow that the God that they thought was uninterested, was unconcerned, was powerless, was the mighty God of heaven and earth. But I want to notice this other powerful action on God's part. Because not only does he say, I will pass through the land of Egypt and execute judgment, but he says, I will pass over you. He provided a way so that those who believed his word could be protected. Now, you will notice, as so often in the Bible, we come right back to this. A death was required. A death was required. God cannot simply overlook sin. He is righteous, and sin has to be punished. And a death was required. There was a substitute found that could die, the lamb. And today, guilty sinners... Men and women like us, we need a payment for our sins. And that's why the Lord Jesus is presented in the Bible as the Lamb of God, the sin bearer for the world. We are told that Bethlehem, its fields, that that was where the, the lambs and the sheep grazed, who were then taken up to Jerusalem and sold to be sacrificed. So, so if you were a Jew who lived hundreds of miles away and you were making your way to Jerusalem for one of the festivals, one of the holy days, Instead of your bringing an animal with you all the way from home along this, this tedious journey, you just put some money in your, in your sack and you brought the money. You came to Jerusalem, you plunked the money down, you said, I'll, I'll buy that one. And you bought the lamb. And then the lamb was killed. Those lambs were raised in Bethlehem fields and then they were shipped up to Jerusalem and they were sacrificed there. And of course it was in Bethlehem fields, wasn't it? The shepherds who were watching over those flocks Heard the remarkable statement from an angelic host above. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. God's lamb had come. And every other lamb offered up on an altar. Every other lamb was a lamb of man offered to God. But when the Lord Jesus came, he was the lamb of God offered to man. God had provided. God had prepared. God had sent the one who would face death so that we might be saved. A substitute was provided. In the death of a lamb, and a substitute has been provided for guilty sinners in the death of Christ. But then a promise was given, wasn't it? The blood shall be to you for a token on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Now God has given you a promise, clear and unmistakable, that if you trust Christ, you will never perish. 
And very often, if not always, people who are searching for salvation completely overlook the importance of God's word in the matter of salvation. In fact, it, doesn't, it seems to me it's not until after a person is saved that he begins to realize how important the word of God was. Feelings, ideas, they're all given a higher place than just the simple truth of God's word. I can trust what God says. That's the point where a person becomes saved. I, I'm told that the U.S. Air Force still uses this, um, this item. It's called, if I pronounce it correctly, it's called a barony chair, B-A-R-A-N-Y. And it's a, it's a little like a barbershop chair, only, of course, quite different. Pilots are placed in the barony chair, strapped in. And then they are spun around, blindfolded. They are spun around, stopped, spun around the other way. They will be asked, which direction are you going? Generally, they point the wrong way. And when they are untied and, and the blindfold comes off and they step out of that chair, they're completely disoriented. And they are trained. It's drilled into them by that means and other means. Trust your instruments. Don't trust your feelings. Trust your instruments. Go with what the, the dash says. Don't go by how you feel or what you think. You can become disoriented up there. Trust your instruments. You know, when it comes to salvation, trust God. Trust the word of God. Trust what God says. God didn't say to these Israelites that he would check their heart to see how they felt. He said, the blood, the blood will be a sign. The blood will be a token. I will look for the blood. And the blood will be a sign to you as well. Go check if the blood is on the door, God says. Because when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I know I am saved and that I will be in heaven when my life is done. And the only reason I know that is because of God's word. Now, there were two possible actions on the part of men and women that night. As far as I could, could tell you, there's just two. They could apply the blood of the Lamb or they could ignore the word of the Lord. Two powerful actions on God's part. I will pass over and I will pass through. Two possible actions on the part of the men and women in Egypt and Goshen that night. They could apply the blood of the Lamb. And of course, doing so, they'd be admitting we are exposed to judgment. Why else would they do this? Kill a lamb, catch its blood, apply the blood, stain their doors and the lintel and side post of the door. Why do that? unless they understood that they were in danger. And notice, putting the blood of the lamb on that door is in effect affirming their inability to save themselves. I heard a man once preaching about it. He said, you know, God didn't tell them to tack up a promise of their own. He didn't give them the Ten Commandments and say, put this up on your door. He didn't say, fill out this form and sign it and put it on your door. They put blood there. What they were saying was, we can't save ourselves, but the lamb has died. And when God passed through the land and saw blood on the door, that was saying, death has already come here. Death has already fallen here. I will protect this home because the lamb has already died. I will never be in hell because the lamb has already died for me. Christ has died for me. God has given me his word that he died for ungodly sinners. And that's where I come in as an ungodly sinner for whom Christ died. And when they put that blood on the door, they were just taking to themselves. They were appropriating. They were taking to themselves the provision that God had made for them. Why do this? Except they understood that this is the only way God has provided for salvation. The lamb has died for guilty sinners. Would you do what these Israelites did? Because when they took that hyssop and they dipped it into the blood and they sprinkled the blood on their doors, they were simply saying, the lamb has died for me. Would you be willing to take that to yourself tonight? 
that if Christ died for the ungodly, then that he, then he died for you. Because you see, the other option was to ignore the word of the Lord. To ignore it. I guess if you didn't think it was true, you'd ignore it. You'd doubt its veracity. Of course, do you remember what happened in chapter 9? Do you remember when Moses actually gave them warning? He said, there's going to come a storm of hail. Do you remember that it says, they that feared the word of the Lord, they kept their servants and their cattle home. Those who did not regard the word of the Lord, it was business as usual. The servants went out into the field. The barn was open and the cattle were out grazing. And when that storm struck with its fury, imagine servants safely inside their smart master's house, hearing the cries of people out in the field being struck down by the hail and that storm. And the difference was between those who understood when God says a thing, he means it, and those who disregarded the word of the Lord. Disregarded. The word of the Lord. When Katrina was going to hit New Orleans and the, the warnings were going out, one person explained it this way, that they had been told so often, this is the big one, you better leave. They'd seen hours and hours of traffic lined up trying to get away because the government had said it was a terrible storm that was coming. And one man said, we just, we just figured they were crying wolf. And as he was telling the reporters, he pointed that all that he had lost, thankfully he hadn't lost his life, he pointed to all that he, he had lost. He said, uh, he said, but this was the real wolf this time. How many, many times, I'm not going to bore you with all the instances, but I have two or three instances where people had warnings of a, of a terrible storm that was coming and just ignored it. Now, you do not want to make the fatal mistake of disregarding the word of the Lord, of imagining that God will not do what he says he'll do. Because he is the God of truth. And those who doubted his truth or doubted the emergency, some might have thought it wasn't true. Others might have thought it wasn't urgent. They, they would have thought, well, this isn't something I need to worry about now. Of course, the signs that Moses did up till now were warnings. This was the last thing now. This was the, this was the crisis point. This was crunch time. Miss the lamb and the blood and you die. To put it simply, you can trust Christ. You can trust Christ. You can say, if God says judgment is coming, then judgment is coming. God tells me that if I die in my sins, I'll be in hell. Then that's the case. I need salvation. And you could trust Christ tonight. And leave this meeting saved. Do you notice what we read? That's why I read those verses at the end. It says, it was a night to be much observed unto the Lord. This is that night of the Lord. To be observed by the children of Israel throughout all their generations. They would never forget the night. That the blood of the Lamb redeemed them. That the blood of the Lamb saved them. They'd never forget that night. And if you trusted Christ, you'd look back to this night and you would never forget. You trusted Christ and start for heaven. That's one thing you could do. I was having meetings a couple of years ago and a woman came into the meetings with a friend of hers. Her friend was an atheist. She came into that meeting that night. She didn't believe there was a God. She didn't believe the Bible. She didn't believe in Christ. She didn't believe anything. She was an atheist. When she listened to the gospel that night, she said later her reaction was this. This all makes sense. This, this makes sense. She hardly missed the meeting. And maybe a week and a half later, at home, reading a gospel booklet called Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment, she was saved. I'm going to read you the words she wrote 
the night that she was baptized. She said, One night around midnight I was having trouble sleeping. Something was nagging at me from the back of my mind. I started reading the track that the preacher had given me, Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment. When I got to the lines, quote, The sprinkled blood makes us safe. The spoken word makes us sure. I continued to read, but kept going back to them. Right then, I believed those words, because I knew deep down in my soul that they were true. Jesus had already provided me with a way to be safe for eternity the day he died on the cross for me. I just trusted the fact that that was all I needed. April 23rd was the best day of my life because I was able to begin it by falling asleep knowing I had accepted the Lord and been saved. He died for me. That's what you could do tonight. You could trust the person who died for you. You could mark it as the night much to be remembered. Just as Israel marked it on their calendar. It's the longest observed memorial in the world. The Passover. But I said two potential reactions. Because you could do what many in Egypt did that night. You can neglect salvation. You, you don't have to stone me. You don't have to curse me. You don't have to storm out of the building afterward and tell me what a terrible preacher I am. All you need to do is just neglect it. Just do nothing. That's all that many of the Egyptians did that night. They just did nothing. They didn't take a lamb. They didn't take blood. They didn't put blood on their doors. They just did nothing. And so just as it was a night much to be remembered on the part of the Israelites, notice that it says, in that night, there was a great cry throughout Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. What an unforgettable night it was. Because judgment fell and they had no lamb. They had no blood. They had no savior. They had no salvation. So as the meeting closes, you can do one of two things. You can neglect salvation. And in the words of Hebrews chapter 2, you can just let it slip by. Or you can stop. You can drive a stake into the ground and say, that's it right here, this night, tonight. I don't want to go another step without Christ. I want salvation. And if Christ died for the ungodly, then he died for me, and I'm going to trust him with my soul. And I hope that is what you will do. And I hope that you will be able to go to sleep tonight knowing you personally have been redeemed. Yes, it is only justice that the transgressor pays the debt. The criminal does the time. The offender receives the punishment unless, however, unless there is a substitute that takes the penalty upon himself. And that's the gospel message. We have sinned against the greatest tribunal of the universe, against God himself, willfully, high-handedly, wickedly, and knowingly. We can truthfully expect nothing less than judgment. But Christ has interposed himself on our behalf. He has willingly taken our place as the Lamb of God and died for our sins. Justice has been satisfied and God is perfectly righteous to look upon the blood on the door, as it were, and pass over us. So what about it? What about you? Any blood on your door? If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services 
every Sunday as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and a very warm welcome awaits you. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>